kind of nervous this morning. I don't know why. Trying to figure out if I'm nervous because all the babies are in here or if because we're in a new building. I don't know what it is, but now I was thinking about, we're going to pray in a moment before we engage the message, but I was thinking, you know, we've tried real hard to not make this building the thing. Uh, that's, that there's a potential to do that. Um, but in order to get it finished, we had to make it a thing. And I was thinking, you know, Crosspoint, we've worked real hard at sort of working our way back from the church being a building. We've tried real hard to communicate the church is not a building, the church is a people. And that is true. But he owns geography as well. And for us to not give any time or thought to physical things would be something that's participating in a heresy of the early church called Gnosticism, where the Gnostics separated the physical from the spiritual. And we don't want to be Gnostics. So this matters too. This facility matters. Uh, This sermon this morning is going to engage some things that I think that we need to consider as we uh, uh, step off into sort of new chapter in the life of our church, at least physically in this facility. I want to begin with prayer, though. Let's let's pray. Father, first this morning, before we engage uh, a message from you, I want to pray for a local official. I want to pray for our mayor, Tom Oliver, and his wife, Sharon. Lord, I want to pray first of all for faith. I don't know um, if he is a believer or if he... um, knows you, but pray for faith, Lord, if he doesn't. Uh, if he does, we pray that that faith is, uh, is flourishing. Pray that he is enjoying Christ, and I pray that that spills over into the decisions that he makes, the uh, words that he speaks into council meetings or uh, occasions where decisions are made that influence how we live here in Greenville. Lord, we pray for peace in this community so that the gospel can be furthered. We pray for Tom Oliver. Uh, this morning and pray that he'll be used toward that end. Lord, also this morning, I want to pray for another pastor and his wife of Mineral Heights Baptist Church, Mike and Sarah Harrigan. Lord, I want to pray for worship for Mike and Sarah first. Uh, I want to pray that Mike is enjoying you and that that invades his marriage, his life with uh, his family. If he has children, that they see the gospel and the way that he loves his wife and the way that she follows her husband. Lord, I pray that that will spill over into the uh, pulpit, into his study, into counsel or shepherding or pastoring, whatever role he may serve, that it'll be fueled by worship. I pray that you'll guard his heart from just doing a J-O-B. Lord, we pray for the people of Mineral Heights Baptist Church that they will enjoy the Lord this morning, even as right now likely they are preparing for corporate worship, that you're preparing their hearts to hear the greatness of of Christ and the work that you've completed through and in him. Lord, we pray for a shared burden, shared worship, shared partnership in this community in whatever way, official or not, with Mineral Heights Baptist Church as well as the other Christian churches in our community. Lord, in these next few minutes as we engage this message, I pray that you prepare our hearts. I pray for the kids that may be sitting still for longer than they'd like. 
pray that you will quiet them and give them a calmness that only the Spirit can work. Pray that you'll give parents an attentiveness and adults an attentiveness that is sort of otherworldly. As we engage a message that matters in a context where there will likely be some noise. Lord, we're thankful for these little bitty noises. Thankful for tomorrow's church that we have the sweet privilege of walking with and raising up. Pray that they'll see you enjoyed out loud. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me give some brief instructions for parents of little ones. If your little um, dude or dudette gets really loud, nobody's going to be judgmental except for the ones that don't have kids yet. And likely they'll learn eventually. So um, don't fret about it, but don't, if it becomes a distraction or disruption, don't just hang out. I, I, I encourage you, I don't want to do this lovingly because I don't want to say scram. But if, it gets, if you think it gets to a volume or a type of noise that's in the way of the message, then it's okay if you step outside. Okay? That's the best way to put it. You're not encouraged to leave. But I encourage you to uh, take the Lord's leadership on that. Um, I don't know how many years ago we had worship on this facility, or excuse me, on this ground out here. Steve and I were talking about it this weekend, and I, I can't remember if we had the slab laid or not. Patrick just shook his head. No, we didn't. Okay, Lindsay knows. It takes a lady to remember those sort of things, or a Patrick. Sorry. We had worship on this site out here, and it was really sort of the beginning planning stage for what we are actually participating in today. And I don't know how many years ago it was now, but three, four maybe. It's been, a, it's been some time now as we realized that we were growing out of that facility, really in some ways from the nursery outward, that we had to do something. And um, I remember worshiping out here. I even remember the sermon I remember the comment about Greenville driving by and maybe realizing that we're not uh, sacrificing snakes or chickens or anything like that, that we're actually just enjoying Jesus. I remember a lot of that Sunday morning. So it's sort of surreal for us a few years later to sit in this facility now that wasn't here then and wasn't even really dreamt of in terms of what it actually has turned out to be. Um, This morning I prepared a message that I think fits with our first Sunday here. And it's in the book of 1 Peter, so I encourage you to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2. I like who this is from. It's from Peter, hence the title of the book, the letter. But it's from the same guy that we got to know in the last few months as we finished up John. A guy that we could say was just plain earthy. I mean, a guy that... (laughs) You could even say had um, rash decisions, rash comments, did some things that were quick-tempered or hot-headed, disappointed not only himself but disappointed others. The same guy that heard the the rooster crow three times, that probably winces every time he ever heard a rooster crow from that point on. The same guy that said, let's just go fishing. That same guy is the guy that's sharing these words in a letter to believers. Now, I don't know how many years later this is, but he's writing a letter to Christian 
people, likely Gentiles primarily, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And in this text that I'm about to read, he uses four metaphors that help them, would, would have helped them and will help us to understand who we are as a church. So as I read this text, look for the four metaphors of who we are. 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. The word put away would mean strip away. Like newborn infants that we hear surrounding us this morning, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone, or in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The four metaphors that Peter brings out in this passage are, first of all, babies. The second and third will go together in one point. That's stones and priests. And the fourth is a chosen race or a chosen people. We're going to consider these four metaphors. The first, babies by itself. The second, the stones and priests together as one. And third, the chosen race. First of all, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. The first thing I want us to get this morning, the first encouragement or the first revelation, each of these will have a charge that goes along with them. We'll get to that charge in a minute. But the first of these is that we are babies needing nourishment. We don't have to work hard to climb into this imagery because chances are this imagery is crawling all over you or at least one or two on your row. Infants craving milk. It's likely that most of us can appreciate what a hungry baby is like. I was thinking about some of our our newest um, born children and the fathers that go with them like Kyle Nelson. I don't know where these guys sit now. I have to get clued in on where y'all sit. You know this is the first Sunday where you establish that forevermore. There's Kyle. So I hope you like where you are. <laughs> Derek Lane. 
I don't know if, if the lanes are here. There he is back there. Uh, Lance Keeling in Teopisca, he's not here. They are here, but not here with us physically. I'm laughing thinking about these guys when maybe like mom's getting out for the first time, going out to run some errands, going to shop maybe, just getting out of the house after having the baby. And as they leave, Kyle or Derek or Lance are looking at mom saying, don't go far. (laughs) Don't be gone too long. Because if you're gone too long, I will have a wild animal on my hands. Chances are you know what I'm talking about when a baby wants milk. You cannot pacify them for long. You can tickle them. You can tickle them. You might get a smile. or You can make funny faces at them. You might get one of those smiles that in a microsecond turns to a wail. You know what I'm talking about. You might get that, but it's not going to pacify them if they want milk. You can try and make them laugh. You can tickle them. You can put them down for a nap. But sleep just won't do when they want milk. You can change their diaper. You can give them their blankie. But all these efforts fail when that baby wants one thing only, and that's milk. I think it's a special mercy of God that he makes babies at this age when they want that stuff so bad. Eight to 20 pounds, maybe. Because if they were full grown, they would kill that dad. <laughs> right? Little monsters. Because they want one thing. They crave milk. So Peter uses this imagery and says that the church should be, the people of God should be like these newborn babies longing or craving what he calls pure spiritual milk. Now, he doesn't say, at least in our English Standard Version, what that is. Now, there's some clues here. It's not some sort of figurative, um, imaginary substance, this ethereal thing that he's talking about. It actually has an identity. And it's found, I believe, in, in two things. First of all, in the word spiritual, and second of all, in the context Some of you who may have the New American Standard, I I bet one of you or two of you or a few of you have the New American Standard in here. It's what I grew up on. I think that version does this passage justice. See, the word spiritual actually means two things, and it can be translated two different ways. It can be translated as it is here in our English Standard Version as spiritual, long for the pure spiritual milk. That word can also be translated word. The New American Standard translate this passage long for the pure milk of the word. I think the New American Standard does this thing that Peter is saying justice. And he takes this thing that we are to long for as the people of God like a bunch of newborn babies and he identifies it, I believe, in that word Spiritual. He also does it in the context. Look earlier a few verses in chapter 1, beginning in verse 23. He says, You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. The thought continues down in the second part of verse 25. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. 
Contextually, it seems that Peter is making the point that God's people should long for this stuff. It's not an ethereal something, but this stuff, this pure spiritual milk is actually God's word. And to even give it a little bit more resolution, he seems to identify it as especially the preaching of God's word. Long for the pure spiritual milk, the stuff that was sown into your life where you were born again, this good news that was preached to you. Peter seems to bring out and accentuate or elevate the importance of preaching. I want you to know that, man, in our context, really as Americans, we don't like monologue. We like dialogue. Tell me we don't. How many of you are in a work setting where a team gets together and comes up with a plan? You like that so much better than if someone says, okay, here's the plan. It's not very American because we all like to weigh in with our thoughts. So the thought of a monologue is difficult. But God's people are to be different. And God's people are nourished and fed and even brought up to salvation, are raised up to salvation through the preaching of the word. This expository exaltation is what he's talking about here. You need to know that this building right here that we sit in here for the first time, that it was built for fellowship. It was. It was built for singing, worship, and song. It was built for worship and giving. It was built for worship and what we're going to do in a little while, eating. But first and foremost, it was built for preaching. You need to hear that. It was built for preaching and hearing the preached word. As you drive by this building this week, imagine that you're driving by a big milk carton. My hope and prayer is in these next decades, however, the long, however long the Lord has us in this building, that week by week, God's people leave with a big milk mustache. With clabber bellies. I used to get when I was a kid. I'd drink a belly full of milk and go outside and run around. You get clabber belly. I hope a lot of people get clabber belly. Milk mustaches because we've been well nourished with the thing that God is using to grow us up into salvation. Now here's the first charge. Crave his word like thirsty newborns. That by it, the passive voice is what's used here. That by it, he will grow you up into salvation. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I know that doesn't fit with our context because salvation is viewed as a punctiliar event that happened at a point in time. But our Bible seemed to show an additional picture. A picture of being saved. And that fits with this sort of language. That you will be grown up into salvation. Now, secondly, we are stones of his house and priests in his house. Beginning in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, there's a phrase that's used here that's not really brought out in our translation. The phrase is, as you come to him, now that's a present tense thing and implies, as you are coming to him. As you are coming to Christ, 
you are being built up into a spiritual house. You're like stones that are added to the structure, the spiritual structure of the house of God. This side of this building and this side of this building are siding, but this side and that side are brick. You don't have to think long to imagine in, in con the configuration of brick. Bricks don't just sit right on top of each other, but they are interlaced and interlinear. They are interconnected. That's a great picture of the people of God. Imagine yourself one of those stones. You are articulating with other stones. You're not on your own program out there just hanging out in some field. You are connected to others as part of a physical structure or spiritual structure in this case. You're interlaced, interconnected, perichoretic inner-involved, inner-penetrating, because that's the way God has designed it. There's so many beautiful pictures of this metaphor. Think about the way these bricks line up. Some of the bricks are resting on you as you pour into other people. Some of those bricks are resting on you and are dependent on you and your walk. But then you're resting on some other bricks. And hopefully someone is pouring into you as you pour into others. And then all of us, every brick in the building is re resting against this big and mighty and awesome cornerstone that is Christ. Now, the metaphor shifts in the middle of this second point to the picture of priests in his temple. Let's import that phrase again. As you come to him or as you continue coming to him, you're being built up into a priesthood to offer sacrifices to God. Moving right into our charge. Here's the charge. Offer up spiritual sacrifices because that's what you're being built for. Offer up spiritual sacrifices. I'm going to give you three uncomplicated examples of spiritual sacrifices. I'm just going to give you this reference and then launch off into it and spend about 10 seconds on each. Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How about let's start with your bodies? Let's start with your bodies. Let's start with what you eat, how you eat. Let's talk about what you do with your bodies. Is it an offering? It should be. You're being built for it. You're being built up to offer your body and everything that goes with it. Secondly, Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. Paul writes to the church at Philippi. He says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Those gifts you sent me were a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You want to know what another way to offer, to be participating in these spiritual sacrifices is? Meet other people's needs. We don't have to complicate it. Offer your body and all that goes with it. Meet other people's needs. Let's not complicate it. Paul is telling them thank you, but he's pointing out that as they met his needs, what was that? It was a sacrifice to God. And it was pleasing to God. So let's not make it complicated. Here's the third. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 15. 
Through Him, that's referring to Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. A third really simple way to participate in these spiritual sacrifices is to worship out loud with your lips. With your lips. Acknowledge him is what it says. Acknowledge his name at home, men. It's not uncool and unmanly. You're not Clint Eastwood. It's especially manly to step in your home and talk about the one who made you and gave you that family. Acknowledge his name in that home. Acknowledge his name in the workplace, in the neighborhood. Man, that's a spiritual sacrifice. And then do good and share what you have. That's encouragement to me, and I think that's especially cool because I went over to Billy and Sherry Sheffield's house the other, just yesterday, and Billy showed me a 1980 Corvette that's just beautiful. So, Billy, you have to share that. I don't know, it's news to you. It's a spiritual sacrifice for you to share that with me. You don't have to complicate it. Let's just make it simple. Offering spiritual sacrifices isn't complicated and it's going to be borne out in seemingly unimpressive and ordinary opportunities. And as you keep coming to him, he's building you up to offer these spiritual sacrifices. Ordinary ones. Daily ones. Uncomplicated ones. Here's the third thing. We are a chosen race. Go back to 1 Peter if you did turn to those other pages. Beginning in verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This text that Peter refers to, this reference comes from Exodus chapter 19. Just listen. Listen to this passage. Let me bring out this point. I think this is of the three in my heart is the one that makes me sing. Exodus chapter 19. At this point, the nation of Israel has sort of been born in the furnace of affliction in slavery in Egypt. They spent 400 years there. And then God has delivered them through, them through mighty acts of judgment called the plagues, the last of which was the Passover He's carried them across dry ground through the Red Sea. It's the same Red Sea that swallowed up Pharaoh's army. He's taken them to the foot of Mount Sinai is where he shares these words with them. It's crazy to think about the context. Listen to the words first, just a few of them. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians here long swim in a big sea. And how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be, hear these words, my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
God says this about Israelites. If you don't read your Old Testament the right way, then you don't get the new. And reading this the right way imports the reality and the context that at this point, this people that he says, you are my treasured possession among all peoples. You'll be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This people has already proven themselves especially unimpressive. They've already proven themselves grumblers. They've grumbled at Moses. I wish we were back in Egypt. At least we had something to eat there. They've already grumbled about not having anything to drink. And they've grumbled about the food. They've already said on a number of occasions, I wish we were back in Egypt and had what we had there while we were slaves. Moses, why did you take us out here into the wilderness to die? A bunch of unimpressive, grumbling, unspectacular, weak people. A bunch of people that really look like a whole nation full of Peter. I love that Peter is the one that imports this. I love that we have an opportunity as a people to engage this. And hopefully, maybe for the first time or the first time in a while, we read this and go, wow, a chosen people? Are you kidding me? A treasured possession? Us? Does that ever leave you shocked? It should. That's the point. He's referring here to the church as his chosen people. It should surprise you every time you hear it. It must have shocked Peter. For him to bring it back into this text. He has chosen the unlikely for the unbelievable. And he shares it here in this passage. The unbelievable reality of this is that you are a chosen race that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Here, Egypt. Here, our version of Egypt. Lostness, sin, Satan. Into his marvelous light. It should leave us shocked that he has called the unlikely for the unbelievable charge. And here's the charge. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called us from pitch darkness to marvelous light. He chose us for this purpose. People like Peter. People like these Israelites. Grumbling, complaining. People with short memories of God's faithfulness and his greatness. He's called the likes of us for the purpose of making known his greatness. He chose us to show the world his contrary way. He doesn't pick the finest or the shiniest or the most likely to succeed. He chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And we're proof of it. The Israelites are proof of it. That should make our hearts sing. It makes much of him and his grace in reality, functionally, as it's played out. So the charge is we should live in a manner worthy of his choice, although we know his choice wasn't based on our worth. Hear that. Live in a manner worthy of his choice, knowing that his choice was not based on your worth. Man, that's got to make your heart sing. We should live according to his design, honestly, humbly, out loud. Brad preached about it these last couple of weeks, this contrary design. 
This thing that doesn't look like the world. We should live according to that design because it makes much of God in His ways and His plan. We should live that way honestly, humbly, out loud with hands lifted in prayer and hands lifted in vulnerability. And we should marvel out loud at His surprise grace and unexpected mercy. That's showing forth the gospel. We were chosen for that purpose.